During the pandemic, many schools experienced heightened concern from parents and staff about indoor air quality. And with the rising cost of energy, districts everywhere are thinking about how to operate more efficiently. For schools today and tomorrow, sustainability is increasingly essential. In what ways do buildings contribute to children's health, well-being, and development? What are some ways to make school buildings more sustainable on a budget? How can school districts address the unique needs of their communities? And by the way, what might the physical school of the future look like? This is what I want to know. And today I'm joined by Anissa Hemming to find out. Anissa Hemming is the director of the Center for Green Schools at the U.S. Green Building Council, an organization dedicated to making buildings and communities more sustainable. Anissa is an architect by profession with a focus on environmental sustainability in school buildings. Today, she joins us to discuss how we can improve schools and make our communities more environmentally friendly. Anissa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about environmental sustainability as it relates to schools, but um, this is an area that doesn't always seem to be top of mind for folks. Before we get into some of the discussion, though, I really want to hear about how you gravitated toward this space, because you were studying architecture, and then at some point in time, you got into this line of work. Now, I'm assuming when you were a young girl, you weren't thinking about school sustainability. No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, kids are always soaking in messages we give them early. And for, for me, environmentalism was always something that was sort of around when I was growing up. So, you know, my dad biked me to school and uh, we did a lot of environmental practices in the home and that sort of thing. But I sort of saw that as just like a normal thing that we were doing. I didn't, I didn't connect it to a career path necessarily. And also in architecture, when I was, when I was studying, it was actually, it was sort of early in the uh, green building movement. So, you know, the, the, rating system, lead rating system had just been released a couple of years earlier and it, it wasn't really mainstream. So there wasn't a lot going on when I was in school, especially in undergrad, um, about green building or, or environmental stuff within architecture. And so I was look, I was just looking for other opportunities to use architecture in a meaningful way. And a, a former internship supervisor that I had had at a, at a different firm, um, had, had started working with the Clinton climate initiative after hurricane Katrina in new Orleans. And she was one of these people who just like connects dots and just brings partners together in this like very cool way. It's a very special talent. Um, and she had convinced the school district that if she could get a lot of partners for them <laughs> to help, um, they were going to commit to building the school's back in a green way. And it wasn't really until I started doing the work that, um, that I could see how deeply meaningful it was for kids and for teachers. I'm struck by the fact that your inner voice told you, you wanted to do something, as you said, more meaningful. And I have conversations with young people from time to time, starting with my own son, (laughs) 
um, about following that voice, irrespective of your, you know, uh, education, your training. At the end of the day, you've got to find something that makes getting up and going to work worthwhile. And I also can tell, obviously, because you're stuck in this space, that there were some jolting aspects to uh, that new reality from going to design these kind of homes for, you know, folks who have means to working in a, in a city and uh, with a school district that had been devastated by Hurricane Katrina. So talk a little bit about that. I, when I got there, I was really focused on helping them with the new school builds. And so there was a lot of just like plan review and um, training staff and just doing the work of making sure that the buildings would be built well. Um, but midway through that, the time that I was there and I was, I was there for two years, they, um, I, I, I got a grant from the EPA to hire an indoor air quality manager for the district. And she was doing site visits to schools that were already open, that had been operating for years and, you know, that were not going to be rebuilt anytime soon. And I went along with her to those site visits and I uh, could not believe some of the spaces that we were going into. Like I would never want to spend time there or send my kids there. Um, and, and it's, not unique to New Orleans, but it like is such a, it was such a jolt to see the kinds of learning environments that some kids and teachers were having to be in. And that was a new reality for me. I hear from uh, school district leaders. In fact, we've had several superintendents on this show and they, you know, they spend a lot of their days juggling priorities and that's why when we opened the show and I talked about this isn't often a top of mind issue, you know, for many, you know, school boards, school district leaders who haven't really thought about, you know, the physical structure and and their idea of a building project is based on replicating what they had just newer and improved, if you will, but without thinking about, you know, the angles and solar panels or what have you. For, for many folks, when they hear that, they say, well, is that really a priority when we're trying to make sure that we get it right, the right reading program in place? Um, and so the work, talk a little bit about the work you do at the Center for Green Schools and how you navigate around that reality. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's an important, it's an important question. Um, so the center for green schools focuses on supporting and training the people who do the work of sustainability within school systems. So that's at like a, a system level, making decisions about contracts and services and, um, priorities of the school district and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and these are the people who are sometimes in the position of like an energy manager or sometimes an indoor air quality manager or risk management, environmental services or environmental health, Lot, lots of different position titles, but, um, they're all doing this work that we define as what it means to be a sustainable school. And so what we think a sustainable school is, is one that has decreased environmental impact, um, positive impact on health and wellness, and a school that teaches kids about sustainability and um, and improves sustainability literacy among students. I'm, I'm also struck by this notion that through tragedy comes opportunity. 
And so many people who've been involved in the work of education and working with schools and, and children have talked about the tragedy of the pandemic leading to opportunities. And, you know, before, you know, one of your main gateway uh, areas was through the pocketbook. We can energy savings, what have you, we can help you out. How do you take advantage of this window to make sure you maximize on getting more sustainable schools and that that's a priority inside school districts? Yeah, that's a great question. And I certainly learned that lesson after the tragedy of the hurricanes in New Orleans. There was a lot of receptiveness at that point to new things. You know, people say, well, it wasn't working before. We have this moment right now where people, where we feel like we have a little more support and we want to take advantage of it. And that is happening certainly right now um, in the, in the um, like indoor air quality and energy space um, and, and in the climate action space, but because of COVID like that indoor air quality spaces is really, there's got a lot of focal uh, focus there. Um, And uh, we are trying to, we're trying to work at, at, every level because decision-making at schools is not, you know, most of it is local. Most of it is the school board and superintendent deciding sort of what's important, but there's also funding, you know, coming from the federal government and there are decisions that the states are making about how to allocate funding that's coming from the federal government for COVID relief. And all of that is happening right now. And so that is a real, that's been a really big focus of ours is trying to um, leverage the resources that are coming from for for covid relief for school systems into these long-term benefits for school systems so you know the there's a lot of conversation right now for instance about um esser dollars the the covid relief dollars from the federal government it's hard for school systems to figure out how to use them in a way that's not going to lead to some sort of cliff um in the future, you know, if you pay teachers more, are you going to be able to keep paying them more? If you hire teachers now, are you going to be able to keep them on? Um, you know, I, I'm all for more money for teachers, but I also know that those are really difficult questions for school systems and, and spending some of this money on durable improvements to facilities to make the air cleaner and better for, for, um, teachers and students is a long-term investment. So you put the money in now and you get benefit for it years um, from that investment. So this like one-time infusion of cash is actually made for (laughs) facilities investments. It's like, it is so ripe for it. Yeah. And I've heard many superintendents say they've got to be very careful to make sure these dollars that were available during COVID aren't, you know, gobbled up. And at the end of the day, there's ongoing commitments that they have to figure out a way to, you know, uh, to fund. And I I do see where the work you do is tailor-made for these dollars. How are school districts responding to these conversations, uh, particularly since it seems like they're very well suited to the intended purpose of, you know, making sure that we improve uh, those resources in the school relating to air quality and sustainability. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting picture. Um, a lot of districts are taking advantage of the funds to to invest in their heating, ventilation, air conditioning systems, their HVAC systems. Um, there is also there's a 
a, a good number of districts that are hesitating or have been hesitating on investing in facilities with this money because they're not used to investing facilities money or federal money, excuse me, in facilities because yeah. it's not usually allowed That's actually. Right. That's so, right. No, you're right. Yeah. 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 So they, yeah. yeah. So they, they don't really understand the requirements. <laughs> they're like a little bit nervous about, you know, the money not being approved or, you know, them getting in trouble later for having spent the money in a way that they didn't understand or something like that. So there's, there's a lot of like trepidation about spending the money on, on facilities um, it is absolutely allowed just for the sake of listeners <laughs> It's absolutely allowed. Um, but it, but it's making, it's made some folks nervous who aren't used to the intricacies of federal funding. Let me change gears a little bit and talk about this notion of the future of schools, because, you know, many people are, opining, I'm one of them, talk about what the classroom of tomorrow will look like, particularly, again, as a result of the pandemic, we know there's going to be this mixture of, uh, you know, online learning, virtual, the virtual experience, you know, technology advances, uh, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, all these are going to come into play in, in the future of school. Um, but the future of school buildings, um, I mean, what... What does that look like in terms of integrating all the things that need to be integrated in terms of the vision of education and learning going forward? But when you talk about like when you work with a school district and like they want to build a new school that is forward looking, what kind of conversations would you have? Yeah. So the the first conversation we normally have is about um trying to go as close to net zero energy as possible. And that is because it's possible, like we know how to do it. Um, and it's also, schools are really perfect for that um, goal because the school, the school system is going to own this school for a long time. So the the expense on energy over the course of the life cycle of that school building is enormous. And so the, the benefit you get by trying to target a really low energy usage, um, up front is, is huge over time. So that's, that's like the first conversation. And a lot of school systems are starting to do schools that are targeting net zero energy usage. Um, so that means using as little energy to run the building as possible. And then what you do use, um, trying to offset that with renewables like solar panels. Um, so that that's happening more and more. We've got a lot of examples of that around the country. Um, there's also a lot of really great research now on what makes for a good learning environment in the classroom. So there's a, there's great research on the fact that daylight is very important, <laughs> which is something that our designers sort of forgot about for a little while there in the seventies, um, and eighties. So, um, really like as a parent, I'm excited to see that that is definitely coming back from, from a school design perspective, but there's really good research on, on not only, you know, does that cut down on some energy usage in some ways for, for lighting, but daylight actually helps regulate our hormones. And so it, having daylight during the day to learn within, uh, a, for a space that you're learning within is, is great at like keeping you alert and awake. And, you know, naturally our bodies know that that's the time to be awake. So it's important to give cues like that to our 
hormones into our, to the way that our bodies work. Anissa, I have one other question. This is what I really want to know, because green schools, in effect, are environmentally sustainable schools. Um, and when you talk about designing green spaces for children, it really begs the ultimate question, can green schools enhance learning outcomes for students? And uh, in your experience working with school leaders and the research you've seen, if that's the case, how so? We know that the design of learning environments can impact how well students learn in like very concrete ways. So when we were talking about daylight earlier, like there are studies that connect better daylight means better focus, better test scores. Like that is very clear, better air quality and temperature control also very direct line to the way that students learn and retain information and, and do all the things that we hope they do at school. Um, there's also a, some indication that, um, that environmental topics in the classroom actually really help with engagement because of the, um, because of the agency that kids feel around action within their communities. And so there's, um, some really great, research on that as well. Um, views of nature, access to nature absolutely has an impact on the way that students feel and learn in school. Um, so there are a lot of individual elements of green schools that um, we know for a fact lead to better learning outcomes for students. But, you know, daylight, for instance. So daylight, we know, like I said, has impact on student hormones and awakeness and that sort of thing. Um, it also can help us use less lighting energy in a school system, in a school, in a classroom. Um, so you're bringing in daylight, using less electric light. You are, therefore, you need to make sure that your um, your building envelope is tight and um, is keeping out the heat that comes from the sun when you get it, when you get daylight. And often, what that means is like a, a tighter building envelope in general which then can lead to reduced energy losses from in cold weather or elsewhere. So like, just like, it's kind of this system that feeds off of itself in, in doing, in generating energy savings and in improving the actual learning environment to bring in that daylight. So there's, when you're talking about a building, you can look at it kind of like a living system. And if you tweak one part of it, you're, you've got to look at how that tweak impacts the rest of the building. And, and often the things that we're doing to improve the learning environment can actually improve the performance of the building, which is, a, which is a cool sort of systems approach to the, to the question that you posed. Yeah. Anissa Hemming, thank you for joining us on what I want to know. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What I Want to Know. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app so you can explore other episodes and dive into our discussions on the future of education. And write a review of the show. I also encourage you to join the conversation and let me know what you want to know using hashtag WIWTK on social media. That's hashtag W-I-W-T-K. For more information on Stride and online education, visit stridelearning.com. I'm your host, Kevin P. Chavis. 
Thank you for joining What I Want to Know.